This is a crowd podcast. Hello, I'm Geraint Thomas. And I'm Tom Fordyce. And you've just entered the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Brought to you by Zwift, the indoor cycling app where fun is fast. Welcome. Tom, we're back. Enjoy your little break. Do you miss me? I did miss you. And you've been doing a few things which have involved doing the world that we're not allowed to talk about on this podcast. <laughs> so I should just say that I hope everything is well and that the road rash is clearing up and that when you're showering, there's not too much blood uh, on the floor of the shower. <laughs> yeah, just a little whoopsie, but it's fine. It's all good, mate. <laughs> so here's the plan for today. We didn't feel that we could leave our club members all summer without any bonus content. So especially with the big few months of racing, we've rolled the pod back out for this very special bonus episode. Um, gee, today's guest wasn't really a very well-kept secret insofar as we actually did tell our fellow members that we'd get him on, and they sent in their suggestions for topics. Yeah, typical Chairman Tom activity there, really, isn't it? Getting everyone to do your your work, basically. But uh, <laughs> So what did they go for, anyway? They went for Grand Tours. Nice. Pretty, yeah. Yeah. I would have gone for that as well, to be fair. Our Grand Tours, really, like, let's say you watch nothing else as a cycling fan, would you? and you just watch Grand Tours, you'd still have a great time, wouldn't you? Oh, for sure, yeah. They've just got everything, you know, bunch sprints, breakaways, big mountains, um, you know, cobbles even, you know, white roads, uh, the dirt roads in uh, Italy. Um, yeah, they've just got a bit of everything, and I think, but they are completely different as well because they're obviously three weeks. The other, the next longest race up to that is Tour Swiss, Swiss which is like nine days. So... Yeah, it just goes into that uncharted territory, really, which, um, yeah, you really feel it when you do your first one, that's for sure. But I think it definitely, um, yeah, it brings you on a hell of a lot. I'm trying to think of a, of a clumsy metaphor, because they are all separate and they all have their own character. So help me out here. like is Because the tour is, is almost like the rock god, isn't it? It's almost like the established superstar who's released like five, ten massive albums. And then the Giro is like the sort of slightly more hipster slightly more scene star <laughs> band and then the Vuelta is the band that's sort of been ticking along in the background and no one took that much notice but actually recently they've released some great albums <laughs> yeah that's true yeah um, you know the Vuelta's kind of experiments a bit you know went short of stages things like that but yeah Italy definitely the it's more like the purist as well you know it's kind of like it's those sort of coffee drinkers that really know their coffee or think they know their coffee, you know, they like to talk talk. <laughs> but uh, no, Italy is just, um, yeah, special, just different. Like the tour has got the whole circus and the whole branding, whereas Italy is a bit more sort of for the, the purists, but all great racing and all great, great races, yeah. Do you end up, when you ride them, do you end up simultaneously loving them and obviously wanting to be there, but also a little part of you hating a bit of it? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, if you're on a bad day, especially if, oh, if you've had a little whoopsie, or <laughs> if you've gone there to try to um, to try to to win the GC or something, and something happens and you drop out of that, then that's obviously massively disappointing. But you know, when you sit back and like, like now, for instance, when I look back and I've ridden however many tours, I think ten of Walter and like four Giros maybe, and you know, if it was just to think when I was a kid and like just doing those many races uh, well those races that many times I'd just be over the moon and ecstatic about anyway you know so you've got to pinch yourself sometimes and just sort of take a step back and just realise pretty lucky to be able to do it so um, but yeah you certainly go through some rough moments and Grand Tours I think if you can get through them and, and go through those bad really dark places mentally and physically I think you can come out so much stronger and um, better for it and not necessarily go back and you know win stages in the tour but other races then you, you can um, you certainly perform better in them The GTCC are delighted to be sponsored by our friends at Amp Human They're dedicated to helping athletes at all levels achieve their potential even amateurs like me 
Amp's flagship product, PR Lotion, is the world's first and only lotion to deliver the natural electrolyte bicarb to the body. Now, gee, this all sounds quite fancy, but you've been using it for, what, a couple of years now? Does it help? Yeah, definitely. And it's not just any old ad this either, you know, to try and get a bit of cash in to help produce the pod. But I genuinely feel like it does help kind of lather it on wherever you want, whatever muscles are working. So, yeah, bang it all over my legs for any hard session or, uh, yeah, time trial. Well, there's studies as well that show a 50% reduction in muscle soreness when using PR lotion. And you can benefit too with 25% off your next purchase using the code GTCC25. That's the letters GTCC and the number 25. Just visit amphuman.com forward slash GTCC and start training with your PR lotion today. Sports stars. They're like superheroes. But they're actually real. Which is why we've made a podcast about them. You see... They've all got a story. But too many of these stories were cut short. Colby Bryant. Payne Stewart. Flo jo, Phil Hughes. Justin Fashionew. We're writing episodes about all of them. And sadly, many more. Death of a Sports Star. A new series from Crowd Network. Yeah, there's only one person to talk Grand Tours with, really, isn't there, Tom? And, uh... Of course, we've gone and got a guy who's won only seven. Uh, that's four four Tour de France's, a Giro d'Italia, and two Vuelta Espanias. Welcome to the GTCC, Chris Froome. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming. Chris, there's an obvious place to start before we get into Grand Tours, um, because you've been a teammate of Geraint's in two different locations, at Barlow World back at the start, and then at Sky. So what's he like as a teammate? We know what he's like on a podcast. What's he really like as a teammate? <laughs> yeah, so I mean, what is it, G? We've been teammates now for, what was it, 12 years up until up until the end of last year? Yeah, from 2009, I think, wasn't it? 2008. 2008, Eight, I joined sorry, yeah. Barlow World. Yeah, so good, good 12 years. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I've got, uh, I'm in a house with uh, six other people using the kitchen and the microwave and um yeah so 12 years g 12 years as teammates it feels a bit weird now to to not really be teammates anymore but um yeah i mean pretty pretty cool pretty special to 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 be that close to g for so long and been with one person i mean i can remember turning pro for the first time back in 2008 and g was in a very similar position he'd been there for a year before me already and I can just remember uh, having someone at least to relate to being sort of stuck out in the middle of Italy in nowhere, uh, middle of nowhere and uh, not understanding really anything that was going on and having someone else who was in a relatively similar sort of situation to me, I think it's pretty, it was cool to have that bond like early, early on and then joining, joining Sky together, later becoming Ineos. G's, G's always been a teammate. I mean, only, only the last few years. Did, did did G really change his focus, I think, and really start focusing on, on stage racing. But that period especially, I think, it, it was it brought us even closer in a way because we were on the same program, doing all the same training camps together. And I, I think G, for me, was always, always someone who was dependable. Like, through the Tour de France's I won, even, even later on, I mean... I think back to oh, there's just just so many stories we've got together. I mean, even 2000, I think it was 2013, the first Tour de France I won. Got into Nice, G crashed and broke his pelvis, and still carried on for another two and a half weeks pushing on a broken pelvis, basically to to help get me to Paris in in the yellow jersey. Not many, not many teammates, mates who would who would do that for you. So um, no one, mate, no one would. <laughs> <laughs> What was Chris like then, G? Any stories from the early days? I remember you telling me something about Chris turning up in a t- traditional Kenyan... You referred to it as a skirt. I'm sure it wasn't actually a skirt. <laughs> yeah, it's like a. It's like he just got out the shower and just wrapped this thing around him. Just used to walk around <laughs> with that. But uh, no, exactly like Froomey said, you know, I think we were just new to the whole pro scene for a start, let alone, you know, Italian is... is or Italians in general are quite a bit different to... Uh, you know, well, my culture that I'd grown up with in, in Wales and especially through me down in um, Africa, 
yeah, it was a steep learning curve, but it was it was good times as well. Like Fumi says, you know, it kind of brought us closer together because we, yeah, we had that little thing in common that we were different. You know, there's a couple of other South Africans in the team, Robbie Hunter, uh, Daryl Impey, who's still racing now. He's actually with racing in Israel with Frumi at the moment. Steve Cummins, who we've had on the pod in previous episode, he was there for a couple of years as well. And it was just a good group of us, you know, we had a, a real good time and really learned our trade almost. And um, yeah, we had the odd result in, uh, along the way as well. Like I can remember Froome's first tour. I, I can't remember what year it was. Was it in, it must have been 2008 then, Froome. 2008 as a Neo Pro, yeah. Yeah, so I had done it as a Neo the year before. I don't think I'd come out of the top, well, bottom 20 the whole race apart from one or two stages <laughs> and I remember seeing Froome on one of the stages I don't know what I don't know if it was Alpe d'Huez or it was some sort of big climb and he was there with like Menshov who was like he'd won like the Vuelta or something previous year or it was just some he was right up there in the mix anyway top 20 on this climb and I was just thinking wow like that's unreal you know that, this guy really has some potential but he was such a raw talent as well and I think um you know, Froome would be first to admit he didn't really grow up as most people do, you know, watching pro cycling, reading the magazines and, you know, watching Eurosport and listening to all the commentators. Well, as we now realise, chat a load of rubbish, but, you know, he didn't grow up with that. He just sort of, you know, mountain biking and just a completely different route into it anyway. Chris... Your first Grand Tour, is it always a massive shock? So you you will have seen other people race them, you will have read about them, but can anything really prepare you for the first time that you have to race for three weeks? Not really, no. Um, I think it was a little bit different for me because my first Grand Tour was as a Neopro and it was the Tour de France and I was just like, I was just completely in the deep end. I mean, as G said, I'd... I got into cycling with a bit of mountain biking. Obviously, growing up in Africa, I, 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 I loved cycling. I loved being on my bike, but I, I just had zero knowledge of road racing, of culture, of how things are done in, in professional road cycling. And I just came in, I guess, it's just really raw a kid. I just had no idea what, what, <laughs> what, I, was, what, I, was, what I was doing, really, in uh, Oh, it just brings back some memories as Froomey's chatting now. Like, do you remember when you cut your sleeves off your skin suit? Because they were... It's like when you get... When someone cuts your hair, but they cut a bit too much off. It was like that. And Froomey basically started this TT with, well, like sleeveless skin suit, basically. It, it, it almost looked like a, what someone would use for, for Iron Man now. Like one of those kind of uh, yeah, sleeveless... I, I can't remember can't remember why I did it there was some issue with my sleeves uh, anyway I, I cut them and I cut them way too short and they were basically yeah I was almost riding in this like sleeveless skin suit <laughs> all the Italian like management were going nuts weren't they like... <laughs> but yeah no I mean it's just it was just this um, incredible going back to that 2008 tour it was just this I mean I, first of all I was just overwhelmed with the uh, just the, the scale of everything I'd done a bunch of other races before the tour um obviously on on the on the pro calendar but when you get to the tour de france you realize pretty quickly this is the only race in the world that's that's like this i mean in terms of crowds in terms of media in terms of just just the hype of everything it was just like whoa this is something else i can remember going to that very first sort of presentation at the tour de france and just being just blown away i was just like oh wow okay this is yeah, this is what sets the tour apart from everything else. Does the idea of actually winning a Grand Tour, when you're doing your first one, does it just seem impossible? Does it seem so far away from where you are at that point? For me personally, I, 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 didn't, I didn't even have winning even on, in my sort of wildest dreams. I, I think at that point I was thinking if I can become a really good climber in the mountains if i have my uh, an amazing day i'd love to win a stage that that was my sort of that would be the dream for me is to go and win a stage of the tour de france not not in a million years at that point did i think i'd ever be able to be in the race to to win the overall yeah for me i think i was even further away from Froome. you know like i said he even in his first tour i think he had a decent day and was up there in the mountains with some of the big names of the sport for me I was with some of the big names of the sport, but like the big sprinters are out the arse, like half an hour down. And then in the sprint days, I was, 
yeah at the back with all the climbers so i was just like completely out of it but at that time i was a track rider and i was just thinking Phew. my pure focus here is just to get around and try and survive like i don't know how you'd come into this race looking to try to win the thing but um yeah you know we we were kids really and yeah kids these days are a bit different but um <laughs> they sort of, they like they have a different um upbringing that's for sure they they didn't live the lives that that we did they, they come into the tour de france and win it first time round, don't they <laughs> exactly exactly yeah so little bastards right you two take us into all the parts of a grand tour that those of us who will never ride one those of us who watch on tv would never be aware of so we're used we're used to these great battles in the mountains and tours being won there but gee you've talked to me before about almost the hidden stresses of the first few days the fact that everyone at that point is feeling good no one's tired the amount of stress in the bunch because no one's really won anything yet there haven't been enough stages is that in some ways almost the trickiest part those first two three days oh most definitely they're the most stressful for sure because as you say you know the first day uh, might be a road stage so the yellow jersey's up for grabs first guy across the line is going to take that so instantly every team thinks that they have a chance well they do have a chance um and then yeah the first week generally is the flatter road so you know as you say people aren't as tired everyone's fighting for position generally there's a bit of wind because they're on the flatter northern roads of france smaller roads so you can go from a big three-lane road to a one-lane road big fight for that and it's just stress and tension in the group and you know it's the biggest race it's the race that everyone's been working to all year everybody wants to do well whether you're a small team and you want to show yourself and you know win a stage which will be massive for their sponsor um and then maybe move up you know the the ladder in the sport or you know you're a gc guy and you just you want to get through but you don't want to lose time um you've got the sprinters all like you know flexing their muscles you know like getting their egos out and you know wanting to push themselves around and be there in the finishes and it's just um it's chaos basically and it's it's definitely not the most enjoyable but um but if you can do it and if not that i enjoy it but it, as long as you can sort of feel comfortable sort of fighting holding that position and you've got some good teammates around you you can also make a bit of space for each other you can communicate well together i think that's one of the big strengths that we have at the moment with Ineos really you know with myself and luke and Quiato, we've raced together for so long that it's second nature anyway and that's a big help in that first week because yeah every every year there's load of crashes and every year everyone's like there's more crashes than normal this year but they've been saying that every time i've done the tour like so yeah it's uh it's one to sort of more try and just get through unscathed really than anything else yeah 100 percent. just just what g said i mean it, it is chaos it's it's absolute chaos those first few days you can train for an event like the Tour de France for, for months on end, making all the sacrifices, all the right things. But that can just be lost in, in the blink of an eye, um, like it was for me back in 2014. Day three, touch of wheels in front of me. I went down and broken broken wrist, broken, broken hand as well. That was it. That was the end of the Tour. And... Uh, there's just nothing that can really prepare you for that. I mean, you can do all the training you want, but when you've got over 200 guys fighting for that that sort of front two, three lines in the peloton, it just, it's it's natural. You're going to get guys who, who do push the limits and it, it, there are going to be crashes and it just depends what, what side of the crashes you're on. So it's um, it, it is very much a gamble, but having a having a strong team around you, having guys uh, who, who you can depend on and you you know each other does does play a huge part in it. I think it has got slightly more stressful though. I don't know if, if you agree through me, but um, and I don't know why. Maybe I think just the whole peloton is just stronger across the board now. There's more strength and depth. Younger guys as well. It's a younger peloton. It doesn't seem to be like the respect they used to be before. Yeah, definitely. I think I think more strength and depth is certainly one one aspect. I mean, there's more guys who have the legs to fight for those front positions. But I think also now, I mean, rewind 15, 20 years, there was a way of racing. Like you wouldn't find guys uh, fighting for position in those first few days the way we do now from kilometer zero. Um, because the the race had a rhythm that it would start, the break would go, it would almost be almost 
pre-decided sometimes who would go in the break and then the race would slowly sort of build up momentum and and get faster and faster towards the end whereas now if there's if like like what g said if there's a narrow road after 20 k's it's going to be a full-on fight and all 200 guys want to be the first team through that section to the narrow road first so it's just i mean the the dynamics of the sport have changed i think having more data available as well as as sort of proven to to teams and and the directors that i mean positioning counts more than anything in in those kind of positions and um that 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 just increases the stress even more when you've got all the directors saying we have to be the first team through that point um all 20 teams are being told the same thing so yeah if it's your job to get your team in there first you'll you'll take whatever risk you need to to move your guys up yeah valo valo viewer doesn't do us any favors does it (laughs) (laughs) every team looking at every dodgy part of the road yeah once you get to the physical level where you are a contender for the yellow jersey how do you go about strategizing an attempt on winning the GC. Uh, G, do you want to go first, or shall I take that one? I think you've got more experience, mate. You take it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, yeah. I mean, the biggest thing is to 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 play towards your strengths. I always I always enjoyed when I came into the tour in great shape. I always enjoyed trying to get an advantageous posi- position over over my rivals early early doors and and then hold on to it and have the team to 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 support and defend other guys i think would take a completely different approach like looking at uh Pogaccia when when he won the tour um he didn't necessarily have a really strong team in terms of the depth of riding on the front every day and defending and his style of riding was probably more more explosive more uh, erratic I guess so it almost suited him not to have the jersey earlier on but yeah for, for me personally it was always to try and target one or two of the first mountain stages and, and really just go to town there and and then um, and then it, it was it made life a lot simpler try and hold on to that and uh, let let other teams try and take it off you but the, the the later it gets in the race the more risky it became for them to to make those moves yeah i think the deeper you get into the race as well there's a lot more other races within the tour that come into play so you know it's not just the yellow jersey up for grabs you know there's white jersey polka dot green white jersey obviously young rider green jersey points polka dot king of the mountains so a lot of other teams tactics and things change coming into the end the end week of the end few stages of the race as well I mean it's kind of like a big game of chess on wheels and things but um, the one negative everyone always talks about you know if Froomey takes the jersey so early is just with recovery wise you know because when you got the jersey he's got to go do media every day answer the same three questions to like ten different bloody people like it'd just be a lot simpler if they all just listened to the first interview sorry um, about that yeah you, you should be Tom uh, and then uh, you know then there's like obviously dope control and um, you know the podium stuff And but I think when you're actually in the jersey though I think well speaking from my experience I've, I've only really done it once so but I think the positive the buzzing off what of having that jersey outweighed the extra bit of recovery which you miss out on yeah definitely without a doubt also buys you a little bit more maneuvering space in the peloton i mean you just find that people kind of give you that extra foot of space to move around if uh, if you if you need to get up to the front and you're in the leader's jersey you find people like oh that's the leader better let him pass whereas if you're just some numpty coming along from the back it's like no that <laughs> that half a foot just closes uh it goes the other way if you're in the leader's jersey is it always possible to work out what the, the decisive days will be? Because I guess you can look at the parkours, you can look at the road book and you can pick out the big mountain days, but sometimes it'll just be a blowy day, won't it? Or there'll be a split in the, the bunch for a different reason. And then is it more about reacting to what's happening on the road rather than the plan you've had in advance? Yeah, I think beforehand you definitely pick out the big days and you know the days that will definitely be decisive. But then there's definitely the stages where, like you say even you know 
one thing that grates me sometimes is transitional stages when everyone bangs oh yeah it's just a transition stage you know there'll be a breakaway and you know the guys will come in 10 minutes behind or you know oh this is a sprint day you know mid-race is fine but some of those days can be the hardest you know they're just up and down all day you know it's just bike racing like some teams just think of uh you know think out the box sometimes and have some crazy tactics and the race blows apart and but when you look back those days are just great great to be a part of in those in that race and um i remember once one stage it must have been in 13 through me i think um because i was it was maybe towards the end of the first week so i was still suffering with my pelvis and then i think pete kenner got wiped out he was it these are all in our team of sky at the time so it was me through me pete kenyuk i think got yeah somebody crashed him just before the start of the first climb richie port was on a bad day just just was off off and just got dropped. Um I think Edvald, something had happened to him as well. And basically Froomey was left in front with in a group of like twenty with maybe four Movistar guys. Seven and, um, seven seven Movistar. Seven Okay, seven. <laughs> and uh yeah, but like when you look back days like that, like obviously Froomey won the tour that day because he was able to sort of get round that day and not lose any time. Like I think it helped a lot that we had Nico Portal in the car as well behind just guiding through me through it. But um just days like that, I think that was probably a GC day anyway, to be fair. But it's just so much can happen and you can plan all you like. But um yeah, you you probably by the time you finish the tour you're down at, you know, plan X and Y rather than uh, you know, A and B. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I, th- I think that's probably one of the reasons why now you're seeing a lot of the the big GC teams, and you'll you'll definitely agree with this one, G. But going in with with potentially Plan A, Plan B, and Plan C in terms of GC riders as well, going in with multiple leaders, because I mean you just can't, yeah, you can't put all your eggs in one basket. And when, when you do, I mean you've got to accept that there might be a touch of wheels, and that's your whole Tour de France plan out the window. Yeah, yeah, and it's a fine balance as well because I think it's having those leaders, but you still need a ranking within those leaders, and those leaders can't be all thinking of themselves hundred percent from the start because then otherwise, you know, you get to the last few days and your leader hasn't been as protected as maybe he could have and might not win if that makes any sense. So I think that's the strength in our team at the moment where there isn't any egos and everyone sort of gets behind the main focus. But everyone knows in the back of the mind they can just change like in a blink of an eye. It does. It does become super tricky. I mean, onto the whole sort of subject of, of inter-team rivalry. I mean, it's just you look at. I think it, it worked really well with you and me, G, in the sense that we're we're both very similar riders, and what we'd ask the team to do in terms of okay, we're going to ride this climb hard or not, or it would kind of work for both of us. Where where it gets tricky is when I think you've got different kinds of leaders within the team so maybe one really strong time trialist and one pure climber and it's like okay do we go full gas on the climb and set it up for the the climber to attack but that might put our guy who's strong at time trialing in in the red basically so that that's where it gets a lot more tricky and makes planning a lot more difficult in the team what what about the tiredness do you get a gradual build-up of it or is there sometimes just a day you have i don't know maybe in the second week where it suddenly becomes apparent and if you do do you have to play little mental games like well look okay my legs feel worse than they did but everyone's legs are going to feel worse because we've done a week and a half of the tour or the giro or the vuelta yeah 100 percent. i mean there are days where you wake up and you literally feel as if you didn't sleep you, you just it feels like you might as well have done a done a iron man the night before or something you just your whole body hurts and you've got to get on the bike and put on a brave face and go and stand on that start line and and sort of put on that brave face and and try and defend that jersey so i mean it's there are days like that but you've just got to almost tell yourself mentally well if i feel like that then chances are the guy next to me feels exactly the same if not worse and quite often those are the kind of days where you start off and you just feel terrible. You're like, okay, today's going to be, I'm just going to be limiting losses today. You can feel you're terrible. But two hours into the race, you look around and there's actually no one, no one in your group who looks as if they're going anywhere. Everyone's just on the limit. And you, you kind of, those are the days you kind of like, okay, well, 
comparatively I'm actually not that bad and and you can you can actually end up making making the most out of those days but 100% I mean there are other days where you can you wake up and you can feel instantly from the start you're just like okay today's a good day the legs are just turning that much easier you start the first climb or whatever it is and you can see a few people sort of like rocking on the bike you're like okay well they're hurting I'm not today's going to be a good day they're by far the best days aren't they <laughs> but um <laughs> I think it's it's definitely um a mental like a mental game like through me saying you know like not getting wrapped up in your own little world like it's so easy to think oh man I'm bad my legs are hurting guy he must be good like you know he's got his team on the front like they must be going for the stage because he's feeling good like and you know so many different things can go around in your head and then sometimes when you are just on a bad day and it's just you've got to try to limit your losses like Froome probably does well he doesn't have too much experience of that but you know I think when you're just not yeah on top of your game you know such fine margins especially these days you know the as we said the depth of the sport is so strong now it's like yeah they're, they're the days where you win the tour win or lose is is on your worst days rather than on your best I find anyway but yeah it, it, it's it's as they say that top inch you know I think that's the the biggest thing when it comes to a grand tour because it's just so intense as well the whole circus around well you and the team and and everything for those three weeks it strikes me a little that grand tours are almost like test match cycling so they're more more exciting than test matches come on (laughs) (laughs) well i think test matches can be absolutely (laughs) thrilling i was gonna say like when you win the giro chris in 2018 and you had that crash didn't you was it in the recon for the prologue in uh jerusalem correct yeah. yeah yeah so then in the same way as that opening batsman might have a fast bowler whistling the ball past his nose and he might be playing and missing, but ultimately it doesn't matter because you just survive. For you in that in that Giro, which you end up winning in such spectacular fashion, in that sort of, I don't know, whatever it was, a week, first 10 days, when your body is trying to recover from that crash, are you just thinking, I'm still in here, I'm still batting? <laughs> I was going to say, your analogy is not quite there. I'd say it's more like the the... Opening, opening, quite fa- stretched. Opening, fa- <laughs> fast bowler, lobbing one straight at your head and <laughs> hitting you square on. <laughs> yeah, that. I mean, that was just a mental ground tour for me. I mean, it started off that that crash really put me um, on the back foot um, before the race even began, and for the first two weeks, I was just just surviving, surviving, limiting losses, going into every day, knowing I'm going to lose time today. I'm just going to try and like limit, limit that, limit that, limit that. But just keeping some little candle burning, thinking, okay, in the last week, I'm going to, things will eventually click and I'm going to try and try and make things right. And I, I think the Giro is probably the only Grand Tour where that kind of possibility exists, especially that, that, that Jura that I won in 2018 was so heavily loaded in in the last week, um, and coming into the days building up to that uh, Calder Finestra stage, um, th- there were cracks showing in Simon Yates, who had been basically dominating the race from the beginning. That also gave me a little bit of hope, and and then we had this this sort of the Queen stage, if you like, that on paper just looked like this mammoth day. Uh, with a big climb quite early on and it was like okay well if if anything's gonna change in this race it's it's gonna have to be today and so it was sort of made made the call with um with nicholas portal and uh tim kerrison and basically just said okay we're, we're gonna go all in on this day and i was in a position where i wasn't even on the podium at that point and i was like well i've got nothing to lose here so yeah, i think had i been second or third uh it wouldn't have worked out that way because we probably wouldn't have been willing to risk everything just for just for that 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 stage so being so far back it gave me that perfect opportunity just to say okay right first big climb of the day i'm going to get absolutely stuck in and just just put the blinkers on and it's a three-hour time trial basically or whatever it was so yeah pretty that was by far the most mental mental day of racing i've ever had and the one that will probably be remembered most from from my career to date i mean it's yeah you just it it was like rewinding sort of 30 years in cycling you don't see grand tours being really decided in that way anymore gee what did you think of that day where were you were you in tenerife were you on a training camp somewhere yeah 
it was unbelievable. We were in Tenerife. We were actually travelling home, and um, we were due to leave at, oh, for argument's sake, four o'clock. And this stage was happening, and it was like still about twenty minutes to go. And we we're like, well, we can't go to the airport yet. And we all just stood there in the uh, in one of the guys' rooms, just watching the end of it. And it was just as Froomey says, it's like you don't really, you rarely see that these days. You know, everything's a lot more calculated and controlled. Yeah, just watching that stage, it was just like, it was epic. And it's something, it's probably Froomey's, well, I'd, I'd say best win, but he's had a good, uh, a few good ones. But it's just one that really stands out and, and everyone, it was just one of those days that everyone will always remember. It struck, it struck me from the outside that it was it was beautifully unpredictable, that one. But then I've, I've also got to mention, Chris, the time that you win the Tour de France and you run up uh, Mont Ventoux. <laughs> you, um, you would, you would mention that, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> Talking of things you can't plan for. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that was again just one of these moments in cycling that you just you'd never, never see anything like that happening. I mean, it's just the the finish was was moved closer because of massive uh, winds up on Mont Ventoux that day, and they hadn't had time to put the barriers up uh, in the last few kilometers, so that where the barriers would have normally been were absolutely crammed with crowds that had all come down the mountain and uh, the, motor, the, the, the motorbike at the front of the race basically couldn't get through, slammed on brakes in front of us and we just went piling into the back of this motorbike and Richie and Balcom Molema, who, who I was with at the time, they, they both got back on and carried on. Um, I got on and just heard this huge crack as soon as I pushed and looked looked down and my rear my rear chainstay was was snapped. Uh, so I mean, there's just there's no nothing I could do. The bike was broken. And I was like, well, I'm not going to get a spare bike anytime soon because the car's miles back. It's stuck behind riders who have just been dropped, sort of coming up on two. And it was just this desperation. I knew I was just just over a kilometer from the finish, and I knew I wasn't going to get a bike anytime soon. So it just it was almost as if uh, it didn't even take time to think about it. It was just like, well, I've, I've got to keep going here. I've got to keep going forwards. <laughs> um, and I, I knew that they did have barriers uh, at least in the last kilometer. So I figured if I can, if I can run from here until I get into the last K, then at least a car will be able to get to me because it can get through the crowds and it can get through everything else. So it was just like, okay, well, I'm, I'm gonna, gonna set off on foot for the next next few hundred meters and uh yeah hopefully a bike hopefully a bike will arrive sometime soon <laughs> the biggest thing actually the motorbike behind us was was what crashed rode over my bike and broke my my rear stay um so we crashed into the motorbike in front and the motorbike behind us also didn't react in time and dro- basically rode over my bike while it was on the ground and i've got a feeling he might have Thanks done very that much he might have done that on purpose uh, but <laughs> did you get a, did you get a bike off the neutral service car? I'm trying to remember. Was it a ludicrously small bike they brought you first? Yeah, it wasn't a bike. It was a tricycle. I, I don't know why <laughs> why they had tricycles on on the top of the car, but um, yeah, uh, that, that, that was entertaining, I guess. <laughs> Just thinking about epic days with Froomey. Like I remember one where it wasn't even. Um, a mountain day but it was a, a crosswinds day and it was so stressful from kilometer zero and nothing was happening but there was just so much stress and sprinting out of every corner into every corner into every town trying to hold position and you had to be mentally switched on the whole time and then it was literally like 6k or so to go and peter sagan and a teammate of his ended up rising off the front and and threw me followed i followed him and next thing you know the four of us are away and uh, we were just like through and off with with those guys for the last like five six k, and um, that that was one of the well it, we didn't win or anything. Us Sargon won. Froomey gained. No, it wasn't even a mass amount of time. But that was one of the days which always sticks out in my head as just a real sort of good day. Just because it's um, I don't know. You feel like you get one up on everyone, and it's just um, it was so enjoyable to do. You know, it was just like, it was just bike racing, wasn't it? I mean, it was yeah. You, you, what, what <laughs> was quite cool? And- yeah, that that's it. It was spontaneous. It was one of those situations you'd never be able to plan for, but it was just we hit this roundabout and the bunch was lined out and Sagan went with a teammate and it was like, hold on a second, we we can go too. And it was just one of those mental situations. I can remember coming to the last few hundred meters and just thinking, 
Uh, okay, I'm, I'm sure we've got to try and try and win the stage here, but it is Peter Saga, <laughs> and it's like I, I think I, I think I tried to sprint, but it was just uh, almost almost embarrassing. Um. <laughs> he was like a motorbike that day, though. I remember like my yeah. turn on the front was recovery. And then as soon as I got back on the wheel and Saga was on the front, I was sprinting full gas just to hold the wheel. Oh, it was unbelievable, that was. It was. It was incredible. It was incredible. So talk to me about rest days, this very curious thing from uh, an amateur's perspective, where you have a rest day and you don't appear to rest. You decide to go for a bike ride of at least two hours. Yeah, I think everyone's different. Um, but yeah, most people, well, yeah, everyone always goes out on their bike. But yeah, for myself, I kind of feel like I kind of have to go out and keep the body going and ticking over. have to do a little bit extra just to, you know, a bit of a sweat. Because otherwise, if I do stop, if I did nothing, for instance, the next day, I'd feel absolutely terrible. Yes, we always get out for, yeah, at least hour and a half, more around two hours. And you probably try and find a little climb close by. Yeah, get a little sweat on it there. But generally, you end up staying in the same sort of, especially in the tour, you always end up in the similar sort of areas for your rest day. So, um, like, Poe is a good place. You always hope to have a rest day in Poe. It's the best hotel of the whole tour. <laughs> but the rest of the time, like, you think you think we'd have nice hotels, but it's oh, it's terrible. Like, some of the places we stay, like, Campanile's are one of the best. Just cause gen- really? Oh, yeah, because well, if you have your own room, if you're sharing with someone, Campanile's are, are terrible because you can't even open your suitcase without the other person getting knocked <laughs> on the head. But... If you've got your own room, at least the aircon generally works. We've got our chef, so the food doesn't matter, and we've got our own mattresses, so campanils are okay. But oh. Oh, I'm telling you, some of these hotels we've stayed in are just ridiculous. Oh, I mean, they're, they're not far, a lot of the places you stay are not far off uh, a dormitory, like a boarding school dormitory, uh, where, where you literally you probably have to go and open your suitcase in the bathroom because there's there's not enough <laughs> there's there's not enough space uh, like around the bed to actually put a suitcase down and open it. Um, it's it's pretty it's pretty dire actually. I mean, if you compare it with uh, I'd say any top level sport, it's uh, <laughs> it definitely uh, takes takes you back a few years. I remember the, the rest day in the 2018 tour in the second one in Carcassonne. Almost everyone was staying, uh, media wise or, or fans uh, or people associated with the race, were all staying in or close to the old town, and everyone had a view out of the window of the beautiful castle in Carcassonne. And then you guys were in a campanile, um, not just not really in Carcassonne with a view of the castle, but by some major road right on the edge of town. It was really strange coming out to your press conference uh, to what, you know, it was the sort of hotel where let's say you had a breakdown in the car and you couldn't get uh, a breakdown recovery and you just had to look, it's a 50 quid hotel, we'll just keep in here for the night and then move on. <laughs> and that's where you guys were. Pretty much, yeah. That's how we spend the three weeks. But it's not so bad though, you know. At least we got our chefs. Like, that. that's what we look to forward to at the end of every day other than the rice. But they can even jazz that up a bit. So, <laughs> Chris, we've got lots of questions from our fellow GTCC club members. Um, so I want to pile into those. But before we do, to complete our little tour of a grand tour, tell me what that a what that final day in the leader's jersey is like. If you know that the the GC is safe, and then tell me what the evening is like, the celebrations, the party when you've had nothing to party about for three weeks. That uh, that last day sometimes can just be it's 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 a really weird mixture of emotions because th- that that last day is almost a celebration. I mean, you're you're rolling into Paris. You're it's a procession. Um, so in theory, the race is over, but it's not actually over. In, not until you've sort of crossed that final finish line. So are you going to go down as the first rider in history to lose it on that last day, except for Fignon with his ponytail? Um, <laughs> or, or, or is it, or can you actually celebrate it properly and um, drink drink your, your champagne or your beer with your teammates uh, on the bike on the way in and, and thoroughly enjoy it? And it's, it's just this sort of mixture because you, you, you want to, you want to let go and you want to enjoy it. But at the same time, also that Champs-Élysées isn't easy I mean those cobbles it's 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 a rough stage and if I mean thinking of all the possibilities of what could go wrong 
apart from crashing and everything else. I mean, just getting a mechanical in in the last lap of the Champs Elysees. Uh, I mean, it's, it, there's quite a realistic chance of of that happening I, I think i remember one year two laps to go coming in and getting a mcdonald's bag stuck in my rear derailleur and having to, <gasps> having to do a bike change um thankfully i think i had a, a a couple minutes on gc to play with but so it wasn't it wasn't absolute panic stations but if that happened to you on the last lap and you only had a 20 30 second lead it would be it would be touch and go if you'd make it or not so i mean it's it is stressful. Certainly a massive, massive sigh of relief when, when you roll into those last few hundred meters and you, you know it's it's sealed, it's done, and that's when the emotions really, I guess, start to hit home that you've 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 won a, a grand tour or the Tour de France and then again the <clears throat> the party after party, gee, I don't know if you feel the same here, but it's 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 a strange one. It's not. It's not as if you can just go absolutely full gas and enjoy it with all your mates. And it's still part of it feels like work because you're still you've got sponsors around, you've got VIPs of the team around, and people who you haven't necessarily haven't been part of your I guess bubble for the last month. But at the same time, you really just want to enjoy it and celebrate with the people who have been part of it part of that journey over the last month so it's it's a mixture of two different worlds coming together on that last night and it's it, it's it's a funny one again you can and and also i mean having one or two beers and, and you feel absolutely wasted i mean you haven't had a drop or drop of alcohol for for months most likely coming into that point um so i mean it's and everyone's tired everyone's been been through the ringer for the last few weeks so there are a lot of emotions. Um, then you've got people who've just pitched up for the party and expecting a massive night. And so, I mean, it's it's a real mixture of everything really going on at once. Yeah, a lot of hangers on sometimes. But um, yeah, I just tend to just, well, when I won, it was just get blotto and yeah, just speak to the sponsors <laughs> and hopefully they still like you the next day. But um, <laughs> make, make some good, good speeches, AG. That's, uh, oh, that's, God, your, yeah. that's your forte. <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll leave that we'll leave them out i mean imagine forgetting your own teammate's name g on the podium when he's he's actually standing next to you yeah i didn't forget through me or maybe i did i no no it was, no, no it wasn't me it was just a delay in my <laughs> speech you know it's all about timing isn't it a good speech that's what it was <laughs> but um but it's also talking about you know the last day it's it's completely different being someone um, like a domestique, like a helper throughout the whole tour. Because the last day, obviously, you, you still need to be switched on. You still need to help, but it's totally different to winning. Because you know, when when I was when I'd won and was riding into Paris, I, I'd only had a, two beers the night before because I wanted to still be treated as another stage. Like I'm not risking this for anything, you know, something silly. But for instance, in 2013, when you know, I'd ridden well, fractured my pelvis on day one, and then this was like got to the finish you know stage 20 the race is pretty much over through me had won he had I think it was a couple of minutes lead and we were on the bus and we were all having a couple of beers you know and then Dave and Tim come on Dave be the boss and Tim the coach and they're like okay yeah boys two or three yeah that's enough but get your heads down now it's still a stage tomorrow everyone's like oh yeah 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 okay but just go in and just start drinking wine with the doc and then you know we're having some food and then go back to the doc's room and having a few more beers and wake up in the morning and I was just like what have I done like wh why did I do that like, why don't I just wait 24 hours but um yeah there's no you can't help yourself sometimes and there's been times when we finished I think when we finished in 15 up Alpe d'Huez was it through me yeah you're at altitude then as well so you've just done you know three weeks of super hard racing you're at altitude you have a few beers then and that goes straight to your head and you're coming down the bus because we travel to Paris the next day. So we go down Alpe d'Huez on a big bus with, you know, two or three other teams, like a big, um, you know, over 60s tour around <laughs> France or whatever, drive into the airport and then you get a flight to Paris, jump on another bus, which takes you to your team bus at the start. And those days so long and um yeah if you're nursing a bit of a fuzzy head and stuff and then you're like oh man we've actually got a we've still got a race because you know for the sprinters and stuff it's the biggest stage they can win you know it's one of their biggest victories so it means so much 
to half the race. The other half are just like, just let's just get to the party. So it's a, it is a weird, you need to, yeah, now I'm a bit older and wiser. I definitely would just hold back a bit that that stage 20 night. Cool. Well, listen, let's have some uh, questions for you, Chris, from our fellow GTCC club members. The first of these comes from Chris Gams. He wants to know, which is your standout win at a Grand Tour and why? I'd have to pick that uh, 2018 Giro, I think, just given how the race unfolded and the fact that it was the Giro. For me personally, I'd always said the Giro would be the hardest Grand Tour for me to win. Uh, It just doesn't play to my strengths. Um, It's it's almost like a a whole string of classics all, all put together and... It's just such an unpredictable race. So I'd say, yeah, that, that Giro and winning it in that fashion was, was probably the the most standout victory of them all. There's a lot of questions, actually, about that 2018 Giro from people, not least uh, Nigel Hooper and Alex Fox. And we have talked about it a little bit. So I suppose the best way of concentrating it is at what point on that stage did you think that not only it was possible that you could overhaul um, Simon Yates but you might actually win because it was one of those days where as somebody likes cycling your phone was just lighting up all the time with people who occasionally dip into cycling watching it watching live text watching it on their phones suddenly all piling in totally engrossed with what was going on yeah I mean it, it went from being a, I guess a, a, a gamble to try and win the stage and potentially move up onto the podium uh of 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 the gc to to actually seeing on the road just seeing that time gap growing and growing growing probably coming into the last 20 30 k's that hold on I've, i've done enough here to get myself into pink now i need to actually hold that up the last climb as well it was very much uh i mean it went from it, it evolved as the as the break went on and i think it was just a combination of so many factors coming together that could have never been planned beforehand i mean things like the the fact that tom dumoulin was left with no teammates if if he'd had two guys with him that that would have probably been the end of me he he would have been able to sit on the wheels his teammates would have paced him to the bottom of the last climb and he would have been fresh and probably closed the majority of that gap on his own the fact that Reitenbach, they wait, they, they, that GC group that was chasing me decided to wait for Reitenbach, who's notoriously bad at descending. And there were some pretty tricky descents there. That, that could have never been something that, that I'd sort of put into the equation either. Because, I mean, I'd get to the bottom of each descent and the gap would just go on up another 45 seconds. It's like, how did that happen? I wasn't even, I wasn't even <laughs> pedaling. So, I mean, stuff like that. There were just so many factors that came together on that day that, that, that made it possible and uh, something that just probably wouldn't, wouldn't be repeatable ever again. Here's a question from Oscar, who is 10 years old. And Oscar would like to know, if you could only keep one of your seven Grand Tour wins, which would it be? Is that the Giro again or is it your first tour? I'd have to go for my first tour there, I think. Just given what it means in cycling, given that it's the, the holy grail of, of uh, Grand Tour racing and or, or, or professional bike racing, I guess, that's that's something that, that is life-changing and more so than the other Grand Tours. We've got a few Saki questions from some of our members, um, not least Rowan, Carl and Hugh, who all, Chris, want to know, uh, how do you know when you're going when you look at your stem so much? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, cheers for that, guys. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I don't. Um, And and still you you end up crashing more than me, G, so I don't know how how that works. But (laughs) no, um, yeah, I I can always see just a few metres ahead of me. And I guess that's that's enough. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you won't catch me staring at my stem descending at 80 k's an hour. It will <laughs> most likely be only when I'm going uphill that I'll I'll let my head drop. Cool. Here's one from Neil Shepherd. Uh, why do you keep doing it? You've won everything you set out to achieve, but you keep coming back. <laughs> yeah, I ask myself the same question sometimes as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the. The biggest overwhelming factor for me was when I crashed is I wasn't 
I wasn't ready to hang it up. Uh, I, I came into cycling pretty late. It took me a good few years to sort of figure out the how how things are done and how how to how to get the best out of myself. And I think it's definitely I didn't want to go out on in 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 that fashion. I wanted to be able to go out in my own terms when when I'm ready and once once I've actually I feel as if I've I've done the most that I can in my career and I feel as if I've still got more to achieve. A couple of questions that we might refer to as questions from the man with his name above the door, because Garrett has told us a couple of stories about you in the course of series one of his podcast. <laughs> and I would like your take on them, please. The first one involves a very weird drink he once saw you drinking. Do you describe this for me? You, you always said it's like, was it like a load of hay and hot water or something? <laughs> uh, I don't know about hay, but it was like, yeah, some sort of a bush. And um, <laughs> yeah, it was before the uh, national time trial. Actually, two days uh, before, Froomey basically uh, ended up feeding me about six of these. He only had two. The sly little dog. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 the, the, yeah, the, that 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 difference grows every time you talk about it. First, it was one <laughs> one extra, and then it's two extra. Now it's two to six. <laughs> so this was a cocktail, was it? A, a Kenyan cocktail that you made, Chris? Yeah, definitely. So what G's referring to is um, a drink that uh, we drink in East Africa called dawa, which means uh, medicine translated directly. And um, it's basically just vodka, squeezed lime and uh, honey. So no, nothing to really dilute it down much. It's just pure vodka with a bit of lime and honey. Um Lovely combination if you're if you're in the mood for it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and the second uh, story we heard about you was a story about a training camp on Tenerife, and uh, Wout Powell's came up with this one when he was a guest on this show, which involves um, very bad weather on the top of Mount Tady, a snowstorm where you've stayed inside, G and Wout have gone out, and then when they've got back and you've found out that they've gone out, you have taken a look, put your warm stuff on, and gone out yourself yeah that was one of those days where you look outside and you're just like it was it was miserable it was horrible and i was just like i'm not going out there i got on the turbo trainer sat there on the turbo trainer um feeling uh, feeling sorry for myself sweating on the turbo trainer only to have g and wout get back a few few hours later and say to me oh it was it was actually fine out there and at that point it was like okay well i'm gonna go change get rugged up and i'm gonna go out there as well because yeah I, I just couldn't face sitting on the turbo any longer <laughs> okay and i think our final questions on this i'm going to ask you both the same question but obviously it will flip round. um gee i want to know from you what makes chris such a great gc rider and then chris i'd like the same from you what makes g such a great gc rider well with through me i think definitely his um the mental side obviously super talented on a bike as we all know but i think um just that mental sort of never say die attitude and just that determination and the fight he has in him you know even now you know after such a horrific injury still to keep working so hard to to come back at a good level so yeah i'd say definitely is top inch uh turning that round to g i'd say his his tenacity oh that's a good one Thanks, I don't mate. think I know anyone quite as tenacious as G. Work ethic. I mean, when G puts his mind to something, I think everything else, the the, the world could be melting around him and he'd just carry on doing his, his six-hour low-carb ride and nothing else would matter. <laughs> um, so yeah, Tidy work. would be blowing up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The volcano would be exploding, and you would be like, "No, I've got to get, got to get to the top and keep pushing." <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, just, just really work ethic is the biggest thing uh, that I admired from from G. I mean, uh, whatever sacrifice it took, he he'd do it. Cheers, mate. You can come again. <laughs> cool. You got to come on my uh, YouTube channel some someday. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Mates rates. <laughs> Oh, cheers. Thanks for coming through me. Cool, guys. Yeah, good to chat to you, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. So, Tom, now is the point where we usually do any other business, but seeing we've been on a break, I don't suppose, well, there's much to talk about, is there? 
Well, you say that, G. I've actually been quite busy. Um, and I've got some good news to share. So thanks to the tremendous planning of one of our members, Chris Gams, and our producers, Louise and Fionn, the GTCC group rides on Zwift are continuing through the summer. So they'll be at the usual time of 6pm every Wednesday. If you're already on Zwift, make sure you join in. If you want to give it a go, just go to Zwift.com and start your free trial. Gee, you'll join a few, won't you, when you're not racing? Um, and the piles that Chris Hoy says that I have are slowly clearing up. So, you know, I'm back in the game too. <laughs> oh, that's great <laughs> news, Tom. I'm glad to hear that. But, uh, yeah, no, I'll, I'll definitely be there if... Um, might even jump on after stage five of the time trial of the Tour de France. That's big chat. I'll believe well, not, that when I see really. it. Not <laughs> really. Yeah, I'm only joking. I'm definitely not doing that. But yeah, no, when I can, I will. Brilliant. Should we have a, a few shout outs to finish? Yeah, so I'll, I'll take the first one from Jenny Pitt, who she came off a bike and accident with a large cow a few weeks ago. What? Yep. Yeah. We've even got, um, she posted pictures on a Facebook group to prove it. She dislocated her shoulder. So Jenny, wish you a speedy recovery. Yeah, good luck, Jenny. Paul Stobbs is back with another book recommendation for June, and this time it's The Monuments by Pete Cossins, who's a very nice man. Um, this pretty much does what it says on the tin, really. It's a history of the monuments, all the grit and glory of cycling's greatest one-day races, so give that a try over the summer. And finally, huge shout-out to Bruce Haxton, who at the time of recording this podcast is halfway through an epic 2,300-kilometre cycle ride in Thailand, raising money for elephants in the mountains of Chiang Mai. So by the time you hear this, Bruce, I'm sure you'll be done and sipping on a nice cold beer to celebrate. Cheers, mate. That's it from us for this week. If you want some more GTCC action, make sure you join our Facebook group and follow our socials at GTCC underscore on Twitter and at GT Cycling Club on Instagram. We also have weekly Club Zwift rides on Wednesdays, 6pm UK time. So make sure you come in, meet up with your fellow GTCC members. We'll see you soon. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Crowd Network. A place where you belong.